Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, you are worthy. And we praise you. We thank you for who you are. You are able. You are worthy. You are worthy of our praise today. And Lord, we thank you again. We thank you for who you are. And Lord, we pray right now as we come and open your word, we pray that you would speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, and help us this morning to grow closer in our love and relationship with you. Lord, change us. Help us, God, to be, to be more the win, men and women of God that you've called us to be. We thank you so much. And we pray all of this this morning in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Good morning. Welcome. I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on, and I want you to turn to the book of John, chapter 1. The book of John, chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, we've got Bibles in the back of the pews. Feel free to grab one of those. John is the fourth book in the New Testament. Uh, so if you're not familiar with the layout of the Bible, uh, open that Bible. The first few pages, you'll find a table of contents. You'll find two big sections, Old Testament, New Testament. You want to go to the New Testament, the fourth book, the book of John, chapter 1. That's where we're going to be today. Now, if you don't have a Bible at home, uh, at the end of the service, I want you to take that Bible out of the back of the pew. I want you to tuck it under your arm as you leave and walk out the door with it because we want everyone to have God's Word at home that they can study and reference. Uh, so let that be our gift to you this morning, that Bible. So take one home with you if you need one or don't have one. Now, as you're turning to John chapter 1, I want us to think a little bit about as we begin a new series today. We're starting a new series called Jesus. Um, it is, we are going to spend the next year, a little over a year, year and a half, going through all four of the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, and so let me kind of back up for just a second and, and kind of put a picture of what we're doing here and why this is valuable. There is no person in all of history who has impacted everything that we are around the world as much as Jesus has. Our calendar is based off of Jesus. When you look at uh, a year, a date given, it has a, a B.C. or an A.D. B.C. meaning before Christ, before, before Jesus. A.D. is a Latin term that means the year of our Lord. Uh, so our calendars are based off of the birth of Jesus Christ. Um, our the book that we're looking at today, this book has been printed more than any other book in all of history. By quite a bit. There's no book that even comes close to how many prints of this book there are around the world. The teachings of Jesus are printed more than anything of all time. There are more hospitals, orphanages, homes for the elderly, care for the poor and hungry, care for homeless that have come out of the teachings of Jesus than out of any other movement in all of history. That's one thing I'm very proud to say as a pastor there is no other religion or cultural movement that is more focused 
on meeting the needs of the needy and poor uh, and less fortunate in society than Christianity does. You realize in the United States of America, if it wasn't for Christian movement in the United States, we would have probably about two-thirds less hospitals. We would have almost no orphan care ministries. We would have very few senior ministries that provide for those that can't care for themselves. It is through our faith and through the movement and action of our following the teachings of Jesus that we have so many of these kinds of movements in our world. Do you know how many universities and libraries around the world have been established because of the value of teaching people about Jesus? I mean, you can't see it much today because most of those universities have moved away from their founding ideologies and beliefs, but a huge percentage of the universities in our own country were founded to teach people about Jesus and how to go teach others about Jesus. Jesus has affected our culture and our history more than any other person in all of history. And that's one of the reasons why we're going through all four of the Gospels. Now let me talk briefly about the word Gospel. We throw that word around in church, but you don't really hear it outside of a church context all that much. What does gospel mean? Well, it actually means, it's an old English combination word, uh, and it means good news. That, that's what the gospel means. It's the good news. Well, we, uh, as followers of Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that good news. It's the good news of Jesus' life, His sacrifice, and His resurrection. And I'll get into more detail on that here in a moment. The good news is what Jesus came and did for us. And we in church apply the word gospel in two ways, primarily. Uh, we use it to describe the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are biographies of the life of Jesus. The other way that we use gospel is we use it to define or, or describe the message of Jesus that I just talked about a few moments ago. So we're going to focus on the four Gospels over the next uh, year, year and a half. Uh, and let me give you a little breakdown of the four Gospels, and then we'll move into the passage we're studying today. There are four Gospels. Each one are unique in what they say and why they say what they say. So Matthew, for example. Matthew was written specifically to Jewish people with an understanding of the Hebrew, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. And so Matthew says things that the other three books don't say because his audience was unique. It was specifically designed to speak to an Israelite, to a Jewish person. Uh, and as we go through this series, when we have a, a passage that focuses mainly on Matthew, there will be some places where I point out to you this Jewish emphasis that Matthew has. Um, so, for example, Matthew, if you study Matthew uh, in depth, Matthew actually is broken out in five sections. And it's meant to design, the design of those five sections is meant to reflect the first five books of the Old Testament, what's called the Torah by Jewish people. 
And so if you were a Jewish person and you sat down and read the book of Matthew in detail, knowing Genesis through Deuteronomy, you would see an intended order throughout the book of Matthew that points out that Jesus is the promised uh, prophet that Moses said would come. That was, that was the point of Matthew structuring the book that he wrote in this way. <clears throat> now you go to Mark. Mark was the earliest, uh, from what most scholars believe, was the earliest written. It's the first one ever written uh, of the biography, the life of Jesus. And, and Matthew wrote his because he was listening to Peter. Uh, Mark was this guy that followed Peter around and he listened to everything Peter said and you know decided you know what I need to put this stuff down the, the, the teachings that Peter is telling me I need to write this stuff and so Mark wrote down what Peter told him um, and, and gave us the gospel of Mark then you get into Luke and Luke was a Greek physician that followed Paul around. He also worked with some of the other apostles, uh, but he did a lot of missionary work with Paul. Now Luke wrote his book kind of opposite from Matthew. He wrote his book to Gentiles, very intentionally. He wrote things in his book that were designed to speak to people who were not of Jewish heritage. His audience and his writing was intended in that way. And he wrote it so that he could show the Gentiles that Jesus was God and that he was the fulfillment of the prophecies about the Messiah, the Christ. Now, little side note, uh, I hear people all the time say, you know, Paul wrote so much of the New Testament. You know, Luke wrote more of the New Testament than Paul did. Luke wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, and they're actually... Uh, if you read them, they were designed to be a two-part, one book that's two parts, uh, Luke and Acts. Luke wrote more. If you just count the pages, count the words, Luke wrote more of the New Testament than Paul did. Isn't that crazy? So Luke wrote to the Gentile people. He was, saying, he was teaching people who did not have uh, a familiar background in Jewish literature. He was writing to them to tell them about Jesus. And lastly, the book of John. It was written much later than the other three. And John intentionally writes it to a broad audience to show that Jesus was this primarily. John focused very heavily on showing that Jesus was not just some guy or some prophet that came along. John intentionally wrote pretty hard about the fact that Jesus was a man, but he was the Son of God in the form of man. 100% man, 100% God in one person. John is very, very focused on that fact. So that's where we're going to start this morning is the book of John. So take your Bibles or your apps and turn to John chapter 1. And we're going to begin in verse 1 and go through verse 18. So John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. You see, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness 
to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. And grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made Him known. Long passage, but man, it's beautiful. And I want to focus on three themes that we're going to find in this. Um, there are three metaphors that John gives us of who Jesus is. So let's look at the first metaphor. Look at verse 1 with me. In the beginning was the Word. The Word. Now John uses this phrase very intentionally. The Greek society, the Greek culture that John was writing to had a very inflated view of Word. Uh, they believed that words held power. They held uh, the power to believe or disbelieve. They had the power to hold things uh, or release things. And so John uses this phrase very intentionally to say that Jesus is something more than just a man. He is the Word. Now look at the first three words there, in the beginning. Where do we see that phrase in God's Word? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. The very beginning of the Bible starts with this phrase, and John uses it very intentionally here. He is pointing back to Genesis 1 and saying, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's Word. He is intentionally pointing us back to the very beginning of all time, to the creation moment. And you'll see here in just a moment where he goes from there. So, he says, in the beginning, God, or John, Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God created, and then you go into the rest. In John, it says, in the beginning was the Word. And then I want you to see what he says here. And the Word was with God. Okay, so catch that. It's making it clear that the Word is not God, but then look at the very next statement. And the Word was God. Very confusing, right? Now, as an early Christian or a Jewish person or a Greek reading this passage, this would have blown your brain up. 
This would have really made you stop and think. We are blessed in today's Christian culture where we've had teaching about the Trinity for or, uh, hundreds and thousands of years. You know, we, we just had this teaching about God existing as three persons, all united in one. But this was a brand new concept to the people reading John chapter 1. For Jesus, the Word, to be with God and also be God was crazy theology. It was life-changing for the people who read this. Now, an interesting side note. If you were to sit down with the Greek New Testament, the way the, the original language that this particular book was written, it actually reads, and the Word was with God, and God was the Word. Our English threw it around to make it sound a little more poetic, which I think was right. It's the right thing to do. But I think it's interesting for us to note that John makes it very blatantly clear that Jesus was not just a prophet. He wasn't just a good moral guy. He wasn't just some guy who started a revolution. He was and is God. You cannot miss that fact in the book of John. He makes it abundantly clear to us. So, He is the Word. Then if you go on, let's read uh, verses 2 and 3. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. John makes it clear that the Word, if you go back and read Genesis 1, how does God create? He He speaks. He says something, right? Well, if we connect God's words in Genesis 1 to Jesus being the Word in John chapter 1, we understand that Jesus was literally the creative force of all creation. He was what made God's words into action in the moment. Now, how that happened or how that worked, we have no idea. But John makes a very intentional point to make that connection that Jesus was not just with God in the beginning. He was the creating force He was the words of God. He was the action behind what God said in that moment of creation. So, now look with me in verse 4. In Him was life. That's the second metaphor that John uses here, is life. Jesus is the Word, and Jesus is life. You see, life can only be found in Jesus Christ. I'm going to get to the idea of why we, need to, why we need salvation. I'm going to get to that towards the end of the message this morning. But hear me clearly on this. Jesus is the only way to receive eternal life. There is no other religion, no good works, no lifestyle. There's nothing we can do in this life that can save us from the sins that we have committed except a life-changing relationship with our Savior Jesus. And that's what John is saying very simply. Jesus is life. He's not just life in this world. He is literally life eternal. He is the embodiment of life. There is no life 
outside of Jesus Christ. He came to give us that life. Now continue with me. Verse 4. We're still there. We only got four words in. Verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light. That's the third metaphor that John uses here. In, in that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, Jesus is the light in our darkness. It's yet another metaphor, a comparison that John uses. We, before we knew Jesus, were in pitch black darkness with no hope. We were dead. And then Jesus comes along in his light, as light in our darkness, and brings us life out of our death. Can a dead man bring life to himself? No. We are all dead in our sins until Jesus comes in with his light and brings life into our death. It's only through Jesus that that can be accomplished. But I want you to notice a, a little statement here that's, that's interesting. The end of verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In the Greek, the verb there, Greek verbs work different than English verbs. We have past, present, and future. Greek has like 12 different tenses. Um, they convey all sorts of strange meanings that our English minds just really can't even comprehend. So if you were to take the Greek meaning right here and translate it out fully in English, it would be really confusing, but it would basically say something along the lines of, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has tried and continues to try to overcome it and cannot overcome it. The Greek verbiage indicates that the darkness has tried and is continuing to try to overcome that light and has not gotten any ground, has not been successful in overcoming that light. You see, it is through Jesus that we have victory over our darkness. It's through Jesus that we have that life. And once we have that life, once we have that light in our darkness, there's nothing that can take it away. We have the word, the life, and the light. That's what Jesus came to do. If you continue reading through verse 13, it talks about, and if we believe in Jesus, we have the right then to become children of God. And that's something else we're going to study uh, as we go through the Gospels, this idea that we've been adopted as children of God through Jesus. Jesus opened the door of adoption. We were orphans with no family. And when Jesus came, he gave us the right to be children in the family of God. We have a family now because of Jesus. Jesus is that hope. Then if you go into verses 14 and 17, I want to point out something else. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That statement is unique in God's Word. The Greek word dwelt there literally means He came and pitched His tent amongst us. Now, if you were a Jewish person, you would immediately catch the meaning here. You see, in all four Gospels, 
there's this underlying meaning that Jesus was not just the Messiah in Christ. He wasn't just the prophet that was prophesied by Moses. He wasn't the suffering, just the suffering servant that Isaiah spoke about in his book. But he was also the temple come in human form. We're going to study this in depth through the next year, year and a half. But there is this idea that is conveyed in all four of the Gospels. That Jesus came so that we didn't have to go to one singular place to worship and bring our sins to the Lord and lay them at His feet um, and get forgiveness. We, didn't have, we don't have to go to one physical place because God's temple literally dwells inside of us through His Holy Spirit. Why do you think the temple curtain was torn in two at the sacrifice of Jesus? It was because the temple... At that moment, in that exact moment, when that curtain was torn in two, it nullified the need for a temple. Because the temple now came to us in the person of Jesus through His Holy Spirit. We don't need a priest to go sprinkle the blood of a sacrifice on a temple altar to be forgiven any longer. We have Jesus. And that's all we need. So when John says He dwelt among us, John is very intentionally pointing that Jesus was the promise of an of a open relationship with God that the people of the Old Testament prayed and hoped for. God's presence. If you are a follower of Jesus, hear me on this. God's presence is literally inside of you. He dwells among you and calls you to abide in him the temple of god is inside of each and every one of us through the holy spirit and that temple that holy spirit that life and sacrifice and resurrection of jesus is calling us to change our entire life continually all the time becoming more and more like god so Jesus is the Word. Jesus is life. And Jesus is the light. Now look with me at verse 18. Last verse of the passage we're looking at today. It says this, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is Himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, and has made Him known this is the thing jesus is the messiah he is the answer to our need for something or someone to save us and cleanse us from what sin has destroyed in us you see every single person on the face of the planet who has ever lived except jesus himself has broken God's law. We are all criminals in the eyes of the Lord. But we have salvation. We have innocence in the righteousness of God because He gave it to us through Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. He knows God more than anyone else. He's more than a man. He is God become man and He is the only way to salvation. You see, when He hung on that cross and His blood was poured, that blood, that sacrifice was the payment 
for my sin and your sin. And it was the last payment that ever had to be made. It was the last sacrifice that had to be given. But it didn't end there. Because after three days of Him being dead, He rose from the grave in victory. Sin does not have victory in our lives anymore. Death does not reign in our lives anymore. Because we have the Word, we have life, and we have light through Jesus Christ. And that Word, that life, that light changes us from the inside out. He is the Son of God. He is God. And He loves you so much that He was willing to leave perfect existence in heaven and come to this miserable planet. Live among us and teach us and make us better and then ultimately die in our place so that we could be forgiven. That's who Jesus is. That's why we will spend the next year to year and a half studying this man right here. I opened up by saying there's no man who has affected history more than Jesus. But let me ask you this. Has your life been affected by Jesus? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your life should be changed daily by that fact. The redemption, the cleansing of sins in your life should be evident to everyone around you because of what Jesus did for you. If you don't know Jesus... If you haven't begun that life-changing relationship with Him, if you don't know about the life-changing hope that can only be found in Jesus, this is what we're talking about today. You can be forgiven of your sins. You can receive eternal life. If you will, just as this passage teaches, if you will believe and allow your life to be changed by Jesus. Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, we thank You so much. And God, we can't say thank You for anything more today than thank You for Jesus. We thank You so much for Your love for us. The fact that You gave Your one and only unique Son to die on a cross to save us from our sins. God, we thank You for that. And Lord... I pray that if there's anyone here who has never begun that life-changing relationship with Jesus, I pray that you would, through your Holy Spirit, speak to their hearts now. That you would bring them to Jesus so that their life can have hope, so that their life can be changed by Him. And Lord, for those of us who do know you as, as Lord and Savior, I pray that you would daily change our lives. That day in and day out you would drive us, that you would compel us to be more like you. So that the world will know of the life-changing hope of your son Jesus. That your word, your life, your light will be known to the world through us. We thank you again. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. We're going to now move into a time of response where we get the opportunity to answer the question that Jesus is asking in our minds and hearts. If you need to pray, the altar is available to you, or you can sit right where you're at. If you want to respond in worship, we're going to sing a song. 
If you need to talk to someone, especially if you've got questions about what a life-changing relationship with Jesus looks like, we would love to have that conversation and answer any questions that you might have. My name is Pastor Chad. Pastor Josh is right here. We'll be at the front. We're also available after service. We would love to have a chance to talk to you. Now let's stand and let's respond this morning.